It's good to be with everyone. My name is Pastor Joseph Bianco, and I'm a pastor here at City Reform Presbyterian Church. I want to welcome you if this is your first time here. This is our evening service. We also have a morning service, which is at a different location, Winchester Thurston. Um, This is a smaller, more intimate setting that is a bit of a larger setting. We're glad that you're here. Uh, We're in 2 Corinthians uh, 6 today, and before we read, let me pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that we can be together this evening. Father, for um, 2,000 years, Lord, Christians have met together and read the Word and heard the Word preached and sang uh, songs of uh, worship together and offered you praise. And we, uh, tonight, continue, um, Lord, that time of worship and pray that that I would be uh, faithful uh, in preaching your word, and that we would be faithful in listening to it. Uh, Father, we pray that you would glorify your name and lead us by your spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're in 2 Corinthians 6, uh, beginning in 14 to 7 1. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light? With darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make them, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst. And be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. This is the word of the Lord. Um, so we've been preaching through the letter of uh, both, both of the Corinthians. We went first through 1 Corinthians and now uh, 2 Corinthians. And today our passage is on, on yoking. And we don't really um, do yoking anymore as, a, as Pittsburghers um, since we're not farmers. Um, but here's one example of yoking you'll recognize. Uh, the three-legged race. Um, In the three-legged race, uh, you're yoked to another person, and you have to run at the same pace in that race. Now, you can't really yoke uh, like a tall person with a short person in the three-legged race. Why? (laughs) Well, so I'll tell you a story. Um, I remember when I was a a child, um, I would walk two miles home from school every day, and I'm not that tall. Um, but my friend Eric and I would walk home together from school, and Eric is like uh, six foot three. And so for every one step he took, I took about one and a half steps. So <laughs> I see short people smiling at me. <laughs> um, so I remember him getting frustrated with me because he felt like I was walking slowly, um, but to, to, to me, he was almost jogging. 
Um, well, if I was yoked to Eric, the three-legged race would be really difficult. So in our passage, Paul is warning Christians to not be unequally yoked. Paul desires believers to be yoked with believers as they abide together in God. And in fact, all Christians to some degree are bound together, but there's a problem. Anytime you're bound, it can feel constraining. Um, But I want to tell you a little secret. Uh, If you are not yoked to God, you are yoked to something or you're yoked to someone. And every yoke is constraining. It's not a matter of feeling constrained, uh, but which yoke we wear. So Paul is calling Christians to be distinct in a world that would see us be unyoked from our Savior. Paul's calling believers to separate from evil, lest they become separated from God. So we're going to look at uh, this call to be separate through three points today, and those are what is unequal yoking, ways Christians are unequally yoked, and lastly, the gospel, that is God yoking himself to us. So let's begin with what is unequal yoking. So in verse 14, um, we have to ask what it means to be yoked, and the phrase actually comes from Deuteronomy 22, and when you read Deuteronomy 22, uh, the phrase comes from a section of Scripture in which there's just a list of Old Testament laws. And the laws are about many random things um, from what do you do if you come upon a bird's nest and there's eggs in it? There's a law about that. Um, There's a law about putting a fence or a parapet on your roof so that when you take someone up on the roof uh, and if they were to fall off, then the guilt would not be on your head. Um, And these laws seem to comprise, there's many more laws, it was just a sample, but there's many more laws uh, that uh, comprise a mix of practical laws and laws that would make an ancient Israelite ceremonially uh, clean or unclean. So uh, practical and cleanliness. So just a quick refresher, for the ancient Jewish people uh, who were called to be, they were called to be ceremonially clean surrounding particular festivals and ceremonies. So they would do this by following strict guidelines laid out in Scripture, which would affect things like what they ate and the clothes that they wore. Interestingly, in Deuteronomy 22, the law says about yoking that a donkey is forbidden to be yoked to an ox. And then the very next law is a law where you are not to wear a garment of two different fabrics, namely linen and wool. So here's what's so interesting. A donkey was considered a ceremonially unclean animal, and an ox a clean animal. And a garment of two different threads uh, could be a marker to the world that this people, these people are distinct, holy, ceremonially clean, um, and this law could be a marker of separation to the world. But uh, these laws were also practical laws. You can't hitch a donkey and an ox together because they pull at different strengths. And if you do that, um, your plow would pull to one side, to the stronger side. Also, people think that by mixing linen and wool, the wool would shrink and it would tear away 
from the linen. So is the call to not be yoked with unbelievers practical, or is it a call to be separate and holy? And the answer, of course, is yes. It's both. Uh, For a believer to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever is both impractical and it is also a marker of worldliness. So let's define unequal yoking. Unequal yoking is both the practical and spiritual attachment that believers have with unbelievers. It's the practical and spiritual attachment that believers have with unbelievers. So examples were given in the text here. A couple examples are partnership and fellowship. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness. So the text understands that when you become a believer in Jesus, your worldview changes. It changes. No longer do you relate to the world uh, with lawlessness, but now you have the Word of God to guide your life. And that when you become a believer in Jesus, a divorce happens, light from dark. No longer do you walk in the sins in which you once walked. Um, So maybe there was a particular people or particular activities that necessarily ceased when you became a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, there should be a concern in the back of your mind as I'm talking about this. Because our Savior had fellowship with unbelievers. In the Gospels, he's called a friend of sinners because Jesus would eat and drink with uh, tax collectors and prostitutes. Jesus, in this sense, had fellowship with these people. Was Jesus mixing light and darkness? Was Jesus sinning? Furthermore, Jesus calls us in Matthew 28 to the Great Commission to spread the gospel making disciples of all nations, every tribe, uh, country, kindred, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So how are we supposed to go uh, to all the nations if Paul is telling us to have no fellowship with them? To be separate as light is from darkness. Well, assuming that Paul knew these commands of Jesus, which he did, Uh, And assuming Paul knew that Jesus was called friend of sinners, which he did, then he can't mean don't ever spend time with unbelievers. He can't mean that. So instead, he gives these list of antitheses, these series of opposites, um, as examples of what he means by being unequally yoked. He gives righteousness and lawlessness, light and darkness, Christ and Belial, believer, unbeliever, um, the temple of God, idols. So to be yoked to an unbeliever then means that you have bound yourself in some way which compromises your integrity as a Christian. Where there is only supposed to be light, uh, you've let in darkness. Where there is only supposed to be lawful obedience, you've let in lawlessness. We're only Christ Belial. We're only believers, unbelievers, and last and perhaps worst, that idols would be found in God's temple. So the primary relationship we have as Christians, and it remains only for Christians, is any relationship that is covenantal. Covenantal. 
So, for example, uh, marriages are covenantal. <coughs> uh, they remain only for Christians to marry other Christians. Or think about membership. Like in this church, we would not have unbelievers be members of uh, our church. But it's not just covenantal relationships, or Paul would just list marriage and membership. It's also a degree of intimacy in any sphere of life that compromises one's integrity. And so I want to look at examples of that now. Uh, We're in the second point, ways Christians unequally yoke themselves. So I mentioned marriage, and I think we should just go ahead and start with that one first. Um, So should a believer marry, um, or can a believer marry an unbeliever? Um, In short, Paul says no. Uh, But it's not that simple. So what if uh, two unbelievers marry and then one becomes a Christian. That certainly happens. And Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians 7. He says that if he or she consents to live with you, then you should not divorce. And this is the same as if two Christians marry and then maybe one leaves the faith. Now, there's an important caveat in what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. He says that if an unbelieving partner separates, uh, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. And I think that's actually oddly comforting. Um, God is recognizing that our yoking as believers, our union is so great that if an unbelieving spouse wants to leave, then the divorce is considered allowable. He says, for you are called to peace. Now, this also means what? if a Christian is married to an unchristian, an unbeliever. It means that the marriage to an unbeliever could also be a great burden. There could be a great tension that exists in that marriage. Christians don't preach uh, that Christians should only marry believers because we're we're snobby or we're prudish. Uh, We do so because first, Scripture calls us to. And then second, and primarily, because a gospel-softened heart is incompatible with a gospel-hardened heart. My gospel-softened heart is incompatible with a gospel-hardened heart. Now, hear me on this. It has nothing to do with me. I'm not better than anyone else. Uh, If you're an unbeliever here today, and uh, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying, um, we are not any better or any more deserving than any other person. It has nothing to do with me and everything to do with Christ in me. This body, this heart that beats for Jesus, Jesus calls this body his temple, his home, his dwelling place where he lives. He lives here. He resides here. And if uh, you wrote a letter to Jesus, In the address line, you might put Joseph's heart, or Natalie's heart, or John's heart. It's where uh, Jesus lives. So it makes sense that you just can't let anyone or anything in there other than another person who's been transformed by the gospel, because this is the temple of God, and it's holy. So let's think about dating. What's the purpose of dating? 
The purpose of dating is marriage. That's the purpose of dating. Um, now look, I get it. When you're in high school and you want to take you know, your biology classmate to the dance, uh, your goal is not to get married <laughs> at that age. I understand. But even then, there is an awareness of the kind of relationship you're intending to have, isn't there? Now remember, uh, what did I say the problem was? That this can feel constraining. It can feel constraining. To be yoked to Jesus can feel constraining. But I want to remind you, you are always, always yoked to something. You are always constrained. And it's just a matter of who is constraining you. Now, I'd love to spend more time uh, on this, particularly thinking about dating and marriage, but, um, well, in general, I think we need to put a little, little less pressure on dating, but that is another sermon. So, I have another point on how Christians unequally yoke themselves, and that is an appearance in practice. Paul's concerned with how Christians represent themselves. He uses all kinds of different words to describe this. He says partnership, fellowship, accord, portion, agreement, dwelling, touch, and this idea of being a father. Uh, furthermore, it reminds you of a particular event, doesn't it, when we preach through 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 5, where a man has his father's wife, and Paul says to cleanse the leaven from the lump. In 1 Corinthians 6, he calls the Corinthians to flee sexual immorality, that there wouldn't be a hint among you. So a big, big way that Christians can become unequally yoked is not with a person at all, uh, but with a virtual person, a computer. Uh, we can imbibe harmful material or images that allow darkness to enter our souls rather than light. And we can act in a, a certain way in person, but when we're alone uh, by ourselves online, uh, we could give in to the many temptations that the internet can bring. And it's not just sexual temptation, is it? Uh, did you know that the youngest generation right now uh, is overwhelmingly the most anxious generation that ever existed? And I'm just going to say why I think that is. Uh, it's because they're living their lives online. That's why. When your life is lived online, you dwell in a home of different masters. So I want you to think about it this way. When you're at home in your apartment or your house and you're staring at the wall, because that's what I do when I go home. I just go home and I stare at the wall. Uh, what happens when you stare at that wall? Nothing. Nothing happens. Nothing pops up on the wall. No advertisements for this beauty product or no political ads. Nothing to make you feel skinny or fat or lonely or scared or unloved. When you look at your walls at home, what do you see? Maybe you see pictures of loved ones that remind you of what? That you're loved. Or maybe sweet memories of a vacation or marriage photos or pictures of your kids or some activity that was a good memory. When you go on social media, what do you see? You see pictures of other people having fun, going to parties, going on vacation, having success. And what happens? 
Will you let envy and greed and covetousness enter your heart without you even knowing it's happening? Now, I'm not saying, because I know it really sounds this way, uh, that the internet is evil. (laughs) And I'm not saying uh, that you should not go on social media. I'm not saying that, but I would like you to hear me clearly. The thing that draws you in the most is the thing that you're yoking yourself to. The thing that draws you in the most is the thing you are yoking yourself to. Now, maybe it's not social media. Maybe it's a news source. Maybe you listen to just a particular news source and you can't get enough of that source and that's all that you want. Maybe that media personality, that talking voice. Are you yoked to it? Maybe it's not media at all, but maybe it's a particular person. Um, I've had health issues, and maybe it's a doctor. I think doctors are good. I think you should listen to your doctor. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But sometimes we can yoke ourselves to the medical system uh, in a way that is unholy, can't we? We can give them all the power. Maybe it's a friendship or a relative or a parent or your work. We can certainly become married to our work. We've heard that expression before, haven't we? Married to our work, yoked to our work. So what is that thing for you? Are there parts of your heart that are yoked to anyone else other than Jesus? Does Jesus dwell in there or is there something else controlling your life? Is God's word what constrains your life or have you given your life to other constraints? other masters, other homes. There is great freedom in the gospel. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's go to the gospel. Uh, So our third point. Verse 16, it says, For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. The image we're given throughout all of Scripture is that the gospel is like a home, a dwelling place. Look, we all want to be safe, don't we? We all want to feel secure. We all want to feel loved. And the image of Scripture is that when God created this earth, His intention was to dwell with us and make this round ball our home with us, to develop it and to cultivate it and to take care of it. When sin entered in, our home was lost. We were cast out, but God was merciful and gracious. And rather than abandoning us to what we deserve, he began the process of returning us home. In the Bible, we see this very, very early on. Uh, In fact, even right after Adam uh, eats the apple, we read the promise that the sun will crush the head of the serpent. But the idea of home is all throughout the Bible. We read about it in God's promise to Noah and to Abraham and to David and to the prophets. And all throughout Scripture, we see this picture of God dwelling with His people, moving closer 
and closer. First, the tabernacle, which was this movable tent, and then later the temple firmly established in the midst of the people. And in the New Testament, we have an even closer picture of God calling us to dwell with Him. After Jesus willingly goes to the cross so that our sins are forgiven, and after He's raised from the dead, uh, Pentecost happens. So Pentecost is that story in Acts chapter 2 where Jesus ascends into heaven and the Spirit descends, the Spirit comes down. And where does the Spirit dwell? In us. God dwells in us, His people. We become the temple of God. Now listen, and this is very important. God is a holy and perfect God. In the Old Testament, that was expressed through those cleanliness laws I talked about earlier. But why don't we Christians practice those cleanliness laws anymore? It's very simple. It's because Jesus has washed you clean. The reason God can dwell in you and me is not because I do not sin. Not because my behavior is so great or my, I have this wonderful, loving, positive attitude all the time. Not because I'm particularly kind to people or loving. God dwells in me only because I have been washed clean by Jesus. The blood of Jesus makes me clean. And friends, today, if you don't know Jesus, you can confess your sins to him right now, and he can make you clean too. Jesus is in me, not by my works, not because I'm particularly important or special or good, But he's in me because of grace. And our response to the grace we've been given is obedience. God longs to call you home, that you would be a son or a daughter. Notice in verse 18 it says, I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Sometimes in the scripture the masculine form is used to represent both uh, genders, but here in the Greek, it's actually written out, sons and daughters. So when we get to verse seven, uh, chapter 7, verse 1, first, we root ourselves in all God's promises. That God loves us. That he longs to dwell with us. That he will be a father to us. First, we take in these promises, and then our response is to cleanse ourselves from every defilement. So John Owen talks about this as the mortification of sin, meaning that a Christian is not indifferent to sin in his or her life, but takes an active role in killing sin. The idea of mortification of sin gets at the heart of this passage. It says, do not be unequally yoked. When I asked you earlier, what are those things that you are yoked to other than Jesus. If you identified what that is, then that is the thing you are to kill. If darkness has entered, cast it out. If lawlessness, cast it out. If the devil or an unbeliever or idols have entered, cast them out. Because God's home, his temple, your body 
is holy. And it's to be kept in that way. God is yoked to you. He's hitched himself to you. And you cannot at the same time be hitched to another. There have been several times in my life where I have felt unequally yoked in my Christian walk. Um, One big one was a woman in college that I was too involved with. And she was a Christian, but our actions were uh, not holy, not God-honoring. And functionally, I was yoked to her. And it was hard to break that yoke. In fact, it was so hard, I couldn't do it. And I remember praying one day something like, Lord, I can't call this off on my own. I need you to do it for me. And it was like right after that prayer, God moved my hands uh, and gave me the words in my mouth. And I picked up the phone and I made the call in just stoic-like ice, (laughs) said what I needed to say, hung up the phone, and then I crawled up in a ball and I felt like my heart broke in half. So listen, mortifying sin, killing sin may feel like death. It can feel even wrong, even though it's the one thing that will give you life. So I remember another time, uh, this is a much less serious example, but perhaps something you could relate to. I was working as a highway maintenance worker in college. And this was with PennDOT, and it was every bit of the stereotypes you could imagine. Um, (laughs) I won't go into uh, defame PennDOT, (laughs) but um, the men I worked with um, were, I could only best describe you, uh, best describe them to you as like dirty old men. (laughs) Um, They were grumpy and mean and would spend the day uh, driving around catcalling women, making really Uh, dirty and obscene jokes, and um, would want me to participate in that. And I remember feeling so disjointed at that time in my life. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do right now. I'm a Christian. I'm surrounded by this every day for eight hours a day. I know you want me to laugh, but it feels like by participating in this, I would be yoking myself to this group and activity by partaking in these jokes. So I just chose not to laugh. I just kept quiet, and they noticed, and they would make fun of me for it. And reflecting back, at the time I had always wondered, was that the right choice? And reflecting back, I think that was the right choice. Uh, It was a moment that the Spirit was telling me it's okay not to participate. But the world was trying to draw me in. So let me leave you with these thoughts. Uh, First, unequal yoking is participating in anything that compromises your Christian integrity. Unequal yoking can affect you both practically and spiritually. Second, this week, uh, I want you to really think and pray about uh, being yoked to Jesus. I want you to ask him to show you where in your life you may be unequally yoked. And then third, remember the gospel. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Yoke yourself to the Savior. Let's pray.